The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So for today, I'd like to try something a little different. We've tried this in small groups. So you're, if you're in a small group, you're familiar with this, but just begin by just, first of all, relax. Just relax. Don't, you know, do you need to close your eyes right now? Rather leave your eyes open and relax into your body and just look out into space. Relax into space. There's nothing you need to do. No state of mind you need to create. No state of mind you need to get rid of. Just very casually looking into space. And noticing now some qualities of space. One quality of space is that it's everywhere. And it's always everywhere. Notice how space is infinite. It has no edges. It just goes out on and on and on with no boundaries. You might be a bit wonderstruck by this. If not, that's fine. And maybe you could feel how it goes on and on endlessly to the front of you. Out into the sky in front of you. not hindered by the trees or the houses or obstructed by anything. Out into the cosmos and maybe beyond the cosmos. Feel that. And it goes on and on to the right of you and to the left of you. Boundless space. 
Maybe get a feeling of a sense of this behind you and above you and below you. The limitless quality of space. And another quality of space is that it, it has no beginning. And it has no end. And in a way it's not even present because it keeps changing. If you hear some noise in the background, that's my bird. He's very happy to look into space. So space is timeless. It's always so utterly present, always here with us. If your mind is wandering off, that's not a problem. The second you notice that, you're already back. One other quality of space is how it's ungraspable. Okay, now if you could close your eyes. And you probably still have some sense of space in your mind. And that's great. You can relax into that. Open into that feeling. And be aware of your entire body. And your breath. If you could turn your awareness around, 
90 degrees and look at awareness itself. And if you feel that you can't really know awareness, that's great. Just stay with that not knowing. Notice the qualities of awareness. This is so um, central, so vital. Because we are awareness. When we were looking at space, we might have thought that we're in here and that space is out there. But really, space is in here. Everything that we perceive, everything that we see is part of your awareness. How could it be otherwise? So noticing how great you are, all of this. Is awareness. I got a quote from Tejania yesterday said, everything is your mind. Do you believe that? So taking a look at this Becoming familiar with this amazing part of our being, this awareness. And like space, we can't really locate awareness. This awareness has no form. We can't touch it. We can't see it. It has no shape. white space and it has this 
So it has this ungraspable quality. Its essence is emptiness. It arises from nowhere. It is nobody. It is no thing. So you are nobody. Essentially. Another quality of awareness It's quite different. It, it knows so many things. It knows your narrative. with this knowing, this clarity. It illuminates sensations. In the body, you were seeing when you were looking into space. It illuminates sounds. It knows illuminates your feelings. It knows Chris, you want to mute everyone and I'll unmute.
your hindrances, your fear, your joy. your happiness, your sleepiness, your thoughts, It's not obstructed by anything. It accommodates everything. Be open to this experience of awareness. You could say this endless, we are this endless flow. Of experiences that are recognized by awareness. So many things. Sometimes it's referred to as a mirror, an empty mirror. And there are endless reflections in the mirror. And please relax. And allow whatever is happening to just pass through this awareness. Don't need to worry about anything. Everything that arises passes. All part of This awareness, which is also referred to as an ocean. There can be storms, lightning, huge waves. But they always settle back 
and they're all water. So you don't have to do anything, hold on to any state of mind that you think is a good state of mind or get rid of something that you think is bad. They all liberate themselves. You don't have to do it. You don't have to worry about it. Just recognize this sacred, boundless, timeless, I call it awareness. Many words for this. Be kind to yourself. Love yourself. Whatever it is. Allow whatever it is to to be and to open and to change. There's nothing you need to do. Except allow be open and maybe a little kind to this and if the energies want to change or move allow that without judging
if it's still and silent. That's the essence of awareness. If it's moving and flowing, that's the flow of awareness, whatever it is. It could be a beautiful monster. It could be a vulnerability. Could be some trauma. Just be kind to it as it arises and stays as long as it wants. It's not a problem. Everything self-liberates. Now just for a last minute here. Please just rest. without trying to do anything. Without even trying to meditate. Let go of any shred of control. Okay, whenever you're ready, please open your eyes and look around and see how new everything is. Welcome back. 
just for a few minutes, just uh, any comments on how that was for you? That experience. Were you able to get a sense of your awareness? Do you believe that everything is in your mind? Whatever came up for you would be interesting to hear if you feel like sharing. And just unmute yourself. I love space. I love the idea of space. I love being in space. I, so freeing. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? Um, I'm not sure you can hear me. Yeah. Yes. I'm not quite sure how you reconcile the two aspects of uh, awareness that you described. They, uh, Emptiness and clarity or emptiness and luminosity? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's something to consider, to reflect on for you. There, it's the luminosity, the clarity arises out of the emptiness. And both are essential qualities of awareness. And it's important to be familiar with both qualities. Emptiness is the essence. And clarity or luminosity Um, is its manifestation. There's a sutra which is chanted in monasteries all over the world every day called the Perfection of Wisdom Sutra, the Heart Sutra. And it begins um, the emptiness is form. And then it goes on to say, and form is emptiness. And emptiness is emptiness. 
and form is form. So this is something to uh, feel and consider. And there's no real answer, but just the consideration of it, the feeling of it. Now, this is pondered by monks all over the world every day. It's a koan in a way. But you can feel it. Can't you feel it a little bit? I'm not sure, but uh, uh, I thank you. Okay. Well, I, w- I would uh, say that um, it's really in those, it's like the gaps. In in the gaps uh, uh, of um, space are... It's that 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 it's so illuminating, and um, to experience that um, just insight and clarity. It's like you know, I learned it. I experienced that in meditate deep meditation, and when you listen to waves, you know, when the waves come in, and then there's this pause, there's this gap, and it's like timelessness, and just like it's just this beautiful gap of emptiness and then the wave goes out and then again it repeats that you know you're just suspended in this emptiness and silence and it's like the breath is like that too you know it just comes and then it's so quiet and there's just nothing and and you know there's that sense of insight into um exist non-existence and then everything just pivots and it's like figure and ground. You, everything's sort of just tilted and you see things in this. So it just brings clarity. It's like music, you know, the, the silence and music, you know, are so, it's so essential to really experience music. But, you know, what the composer is teaching is showing is, is to have no, no sound in those pauses and gaps. Yes. Thank you. David, I have a question. Is awareness or isn't also one of the aspects of awareness that it is fleeting? What's the word? Pardon me? What was that word? Fleeting. Oh, fleeting, yeah. Coming and going. Mm-hmm. Because um, I'm wondering if our awareness comes and goes with, and that's what's making the thoughts that come in wash away and the uh, quieter moments, I'll say, also wash away. Because the awareness of them is fleeting on and on and on over again. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that, mm-hmm. can we say it's fleeting? Well, 
yeah, it's always changing. But it's also, it's always here. Ah, okay. Okay. It has both of those. That's fine. But please don't try too hard. Just, just, just a glimpse, just glimpsing, just, I, I, I also got a quote today, uh, don't try to be hard, don't try to be aware so much, just recognize maybe, is awareness doing its job? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> is it doing its job? Is it here? So this is the heart of practice. This is the essence of practice, this awareness, the essence of meditation. So we we do many, many practices, many beautiful practices. But they always come back to this. So... um, Please familiarize yourself and familiarize yourself. Come back to it. Small moments, many times throughout the day. Become more and more familiar that this is who you are. So that you become sustaining it more and more you become confident it's not a confidence an ego confidence it's a confidence in that you're you this is who you are and that you are everything everything you're great You're amazing. You're Buddha. You really are. And then some kindness emerges naturally out of that recognition. Excuse me, David. I'm raising my hand here. I don't know under participants. Are we checking that or are we doing it visually? Go ahead. Just please. Ah, okay. Um, I experienced that meditation, the boundlessness of it, the spaciousness of it, the unendingness of it as very comforting. And when I get caught up in my ego that something isn't right, it should be different, I want it different, instead of it troubling me, um, I appreciated your reminder to just say, well, just let it go. It's not important. And I think most times we think, you know, I can't forget things. I have to remember things. I can't forget something. But it's it's really nice to give myself back into the spaciousness. Uh, it has a lot of forgiveness. Yes. And in a way, Abraham, 
you don't need to do it. It frees itself. It, it liberates itself. All the ego problems have spaciousness built in them too. Yeah, they do. We just need to get out of the way. So um, I have a a prompt I would like to suggest for small group discussions. It's the new year now. Maybe everyone is breathing a huge sigh of relief. Maybe not. Maybe you're upset about what's going on now, but anyhow. Um it's a new year in any case. And what I'd like to suggest you consider over the past year, what has caused you pain? And um, maybe a lot of pain or maybe intermittent pain, but something kind of habitual, like something that's, I know that external circumstances always touch off the pain or often touch off the pain, but the pain, the underneath the, the tip of the iceberg is the external circumstance, but underneath is this kind of maybe a habit, some kind of habitual tendency that we have. So I think it's worthwhile to look at that. What's caused me so much pain or some pain? And um, maybe make a, a vow, some kind of intention for this year in regard to that, how I'm going to practice with that this year. Some vow that... that maybe it won't be, you know, you can, you can deal with it in some way. So it's not, it doesn't create such difficulties for you this year that it created last year. And if, if, uh, if you prefer maybe a positive intention, what kind of positive intention would you like to create for you, for yourself for the new year? So something like that around habits, recognizing, naming a habit, perhaps, and a vow about how you'd like to practice with that. Or a positive intention, what you'd like to invigorate in your practice for next year, or this year. Okay? Well, welcome back. A lot of smiling faces, as Maria just said. It's wonderful to see you back and smiling. Um, 
How was your discussion? Did you have good discussions? Uh, what would you like to share with us? Love to hear. Love to hear whatever you'd like to share. Um, you know how you feel when someone shares. It's like it's really nice to hear them. So when you're sharing, it's an act of your generosity to us because we love to hear you. So please feel free to um, unmute yourself and and Hello. Please. Um, I I really uh, enjoyed our group discussion. I felt a real sense of. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I'm hearing a squeaky sound. Anyway, we I really felt that we all uh, shared uh, similar similar. I some. Can anyone else hear that? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, the squeaking. I'm not sure. Yes. Okay. Never mind. Um, I really felt a sense of connection. I felt we were sharing very similar things, very similar feelings and ideas. So thank you, everyone who was in my group. I enjoyed it. Do you care to share with us anything that you shared? Well, we had a good time, too, and we decided there was a lot of commonality there. I think it's just that we all have a, um, we're all human, right? So we, but we have certain habits in common, like uh, catastrophizing about things, and but practice helps with all of it. I think we probably all agreed on that, that it's just getting, getting out of the, out of your mind, <laughs> out of the stepping back, right? So anyway, we had a great time. We did a lot of laughing. That's good. Did you, did you come up with a vow for yourself? Oh yeah, for myself it was, um, that I think it's my expectations that create suffering. So I'm not going to say that I'm not ever going to have expectations again, but, but I just, I have more um, appreciation that that is a, uh, an area which is kind of dangerous. I mean, because if, if you have no, um, I mean, if it's something other than yourself that you don't have control over, then it is really out of your control. So to have an expectation is kind of asking for disappointment. So I guess that's what I came up with. But I can't say that I'll never have expectations again. <laughs> oh, please don't say that. That would okay. be that would be that would be cruel. That would be awful. Yes, yes. But but you can. Um, Allow them to free themselves. You can, you can not worry about them. You can allow them to come and go. Yeah. That's, Suzuki, um, Suzuki, Suzuki Roshi said, leave the front door open and also leave the back door open. Very wise. Don't invite them in for tea. Just leave the front door open. You know, be the, you're the host. You're the host. Welcome into the front door. 
you're also welcome to leave whenever, <laughs> whenever you're tired of being here. I don't have to join you. Yeah. I don't have to join you. I don't have to, but I can also appreciate you. I, you know, I don't have to kill you. Yeah. I don't have to be in conflict with you. Mm-hmm. Can relax with that. Right. And for me, I think it's, it's, um, giving up. It's kind of letting things, uh, unfold naturally. And it may not be as I, um, have imagined it. Probably won't be actually. But that's okay. You know, I think I'm coming to that, that, well, it's, it's going to happen how it happens. And, um, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> so it's your own beautiful monster. Yes. Right. And, and it's beautiful. It's, oh. it's just, it's a mess. It's a manifestation of, of reality. It's a manifestation of awareness. Mm-hmm. And it's be- It's beautiful, just like, just like everything else. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. By the way, that squeaking is my bird. So. Is someone else? What kind of bird is it? <laughs> Parakeet. Oh, it's been driving me crazy. I've been thinking, what is that? It's like, <laughs> I'm hearing it as some kind of a squeak. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> is he unhappy, David? Or? Oh, he's, he's having the great, the best time. <laughs> he's, he's in, in heaven. What's um, he doing? He's, he's just chirping away, chirping, chirping. Looking out into space. <laughs> okay, any, anyone else like to offer some? I think um, we have such a sigh of relief uh, which is shared with so many people in the last few days. I wonder what we can do to uh, try to think of the other side, which has a uh, opposite feeling. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Okay, anyone else? Well, thank you for sharing. So let's take a break. Um, maybe come back at 20 after. Is that okay? It's, I, I have about 13 after now. Maybe take a seven minute break and, uh, come back and, and Maria then will, uh, she's got some beautiful things to say. I'd love to hear them. I can't wait to hear them myself. Okay. So. See you in uh, seven minutes.
I'm uncertain if everyone has an has had an opportunity to come back, but I think we should begin, and we'll just begin slowly. Uh, I have to say how really great it is to see some familiar faces that I haven't seen for a long time. It is, it's really sweet. So uh, that has gladdened my heart, which is always a good place to start. So, um, so I'm happy to see you and I'm, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to interact with you. So those are sort of the, the feelings that I'm holding as I begin, uh, gratefulness and delight and eagerness and maybe a little bit of nervousness. <laughs> so, um, so here we are. And what I would like to explore with you this morning are some ideas that I keep coming up. One of the things I do is, is practice discussion groups, uh, a couple of times a week and different people come in and, and there seems to be a thread of people having concerns about, uh, their responses to being shut down and being under stress for various kinds of reasons, how to deal with the ill will of people toward people who don't wear masks, you know, so, but it all comes down to a kind of, um, uh, a self-criticism. In the end, it's, I should be able to do something better than I'm doing now, or I should be better than I am now, or if I was really a good Buddhist, I would be a equanimous or, you know, nobody says it in exactly those words, but that's that's the feeling that comes up. And so what I would like to talk about this morning is how do we be present for experience just as it is? What does that, what does that really mean when, you know, the feet are on the path? How, how do I exist in this place? Is equanimous meaning that I'm unaffected by the stresses that I have? Or does being equanimous have more to do with how I meet those places without totally losing my way? And so that's, that's kind of the topic I'd like to explore with you this morning. So, so one of the, yesterday was uh, a remarkable day, whatever your political persuasion. And one of the things that I noticed in particular in my own response to what was happening, I watched all of the, the inauguration events instead of preparing for today. <laughs> and, and in that, I realized there was uh, an absence of something in my experience. And it was an absence of worrying about what's going to happen next. I think it's important that we not only experience what is coming at us, which is what we pay a lot of attention to. We tend to focus on what's wrong, what's bad, what's, what's not right. What, what do I need to be careful of? Especially in the age of COVID when we, we are sort of surrounded by the need to be careful. It kind of puts us in the mind state of I have to be careful. And yesterday, as I was listening to some of the reassuring, depending on your political point of view, statements, I realized an absence of worrying about what was going to come next. I didn't know what was going to come next, 
but there was an absence of something. And, and how remarkable that was that I'm not usually conscious of being absent and that it's, it's somewhat tied to a sense of safety. One of the beautiful things about David's guided meditation this morning was his ability to create a place of safety. And so it was kind of easy to slide into that awareness because it just felt safe, right? It just sort of felt, okay, it'll be okay to do this here. And there's there's not so much a letting going, a going as a, an allowance of, oh, it's okay here. And and we we notice that pleasantness of the blending, but maybe we don't notice the absence of being on edge, except it later. So so one thing I would like us to think about is that it's also important to be aware of what's missing, what what's what's not true. It's part of mindfulness, you know, to know when lust is present, to know when lust is not present. So the awareness of oh. That relief isn't so much laying down as the absence of this. Okay. So with that in mind, one of the things as I was watching all of these events was a, a presentation of a, a video on PBS called uh, An American Portrait. And in that, there were there were a lot of people who were responding to at this point in my life, I, as a lead-in, and there were lots of people, but they really focused on three people. One was a 15-year-old teenager girl uh, with a variety of odd hair, blue and then shaved. And, and then there was a 51-year-old black woman who had an autistic adult son who'd lost both her jobs since the beginning of COVID and how she was coping. And then there was an 80-year-old woman who happened to come from Inverness, up here north of us, who um, was rediscovering the word vitality, and what she had what she had characterized her life as that she had chosen roles in her life that didn't allow her to fulfill her dream of being a professional photographer. She could say, "I'm a photographer," but she really wanted to get something published. And I was listening to this woman talk about what it was like to be this age, 80. She was, she celebrated her birthday during this video and, and to realize that there was still a vital part of her that needed to be expressed and that she did not have to be constrained by how she thought of herself in the roles that she had adopted through most of her life. In this whole process was a realization that we often form ideas about who we are and how we interact with the world that determines our experience. What we name things matters. The words that we choose to describe our experience matters. So so let me see if I can talk about that a little bit. So we're all familiar, uh, uh, some of my thoughts today uh, were stimulated by a book I read several months ago called Unentangling Self by Andrew Oledsky. And if you get an opportunity or it's so inclined, it's a, a wonderful book on a different way of understanding the Buddhist concept of not self. 
In any event, he uses an example of rain. Rain is something we're all familiar with, but rain only occurs under certain conditions, temperature, humidity, and they come together in a particular combination at a particular time. And when those conditions change, the rain doesn't go away as it just doesn't happen. Rain doesn't come and go. It occurs when the conditions are right. And if you've ever watched a radar screen, you'd see that happen. You can see a storm moving along and then it kind of blinks out and it starts up somewhere else and then blinks out. And that's because it's not something that's moving so much as the conditions are moving and they're influenced by the, the conditions that they encounter. This is true of all experience. This is true of our experience. The things that we believe are true are conditioned. What we see as ourself is conditioned. Your experience of this moment is very different than mine. We're, we're all in this Zoom room together, whatever attitudes we have about Zoom, whatever attitudes we have about how we show up in a space. I mentioned at the beginning that I was feeling delight and gratitude, and that's an uplifting kind of energy. And so my experience is colored by that. It's tinted by that. If I came in feeling kind of cranky, it would be very different. I would probably be a bit more rigid in my discussion today. I would probably not wave my hands as much, which is kind of a freeing thing. The conditions change not because I've become a different person, but because every moment where I show up with just this, I can notice how much of the conditions are determined by what my expectations were of this time versus what's actually happening dependent on my attitude, on my physical location. You know, if I'm sitting in a chair that's uncomfortable, I'm going to be shifting all the time. And, you know, and in fact, the chair that I'm in is very comfortable, but I have to raise it up a little bit to make the camera work on my computer. So my feet kind of dangle, right? So there's, there's that influences how I am in this moment. All of us can react to what's happening in the moment or not react based on the conditions that we've set in place. Some of those conditions are long-term mind habits. Some of those conditions are sudden. We don't expect them. In an earthquake, lots of things happen, right? There's a jarring. There's a, there's a shift. But mostly because we're living in the conditions we're living in, it feels like it's just a continuum. You know, every day is kind of the same. Those of us who are retired have to remember what day of the week it is. Oh, no, 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 it's not Thursday. It's actually Friday, right? It's not because our memories are failing us. (laughs) Maria's searching for a word here. It's partly because we are entrained into thinking everything is the same. 
when it's actually changing all the time. And being aware of that, being remembering that, takes a, a, a certain amount of attention. It takes a certain amount of attention. And a realization that what we think of as ourself is really created in the moment of perception, which which has to do with what we think about what's happening. What we think about what's happening. So what I'm describing here is less about expectations or desires, but really what the raw experience, direct experience of this moment is. And it is always immediate and personal. And I don't mean personal in uh, in terms of what David referred to before about the narrative about ourselves. It's personal in that it's individual. It's individual. And what we do, the intentions we form which we call karma, karma being our intentions and our actions, that those conditions that we set in place determine our experience of this moment. Actually, they only condition it. We don't have that much control. And this is one of the things, when, when David set out and said, you know, what causes you pain? What do you notice about pain? One of the things that came to mind to me was my desire to control the outcome. I think, I think I should be able to control the outcome. Every time I hear in my head that I should, I say, wait, wait. This is really about wishing things were other than they are. Wishing things were other than they are which in my experience, my direct experience, gives rise to suffering. That does not mean that we say everything's okay just the way it is. What it means is we have to try to see it as clearly as possible. If we can see, oh, this is what's happening. Oh, this is what's happening. I have great faith that we're not going to choose to suffer. Now, when I say that, One of the difficulties we have is the human desire to excel. And everyone in this group, I suspect, has a desire at some level to be a better self, a better person, a more satisfactory person as opposed to unsatisfactory. When that desire becomes one that inherently says, I'm not good enough, it's fallen over into aversion. I'm not good enough. This moment is not good enough. I'm not doing the right thing here. Somehow I should be better. I need to practice more. I have to deal with this ill will. How can I experience ill will? Because we take these emotional responses and we gather them in and say, this is self. Oh, I'm someone who has ill will. And as soon as we experience it that, I am someone who loves, I am someone who has ill will, we are, in, we are creating a self that is in fact temporary, 
but we're believing that this is me and needs to be improved. Whereas if we can create just this much space and say ill will is present, hmm, and my intention is toward kindness, we don't have to spend a lot of time getting rid of ill will. We can just say ill will has appeared. It Karma is not created by the appearance of something. It has to do with our response to this experience. Now, if I see ill will arise, so this happened over breakfast this morning. My husband was reporting his response to some of the things that happened yesterday and his concerns about what might happen today and tomorrow. And as he was talking about it, I could see him going, and and in response, I was going, yeah, yeah. And I thought, no, I don't actually feel that way. I'm being entrained into this, this spirit of ill will because it's attractive. And what's attractive about it is a kind of, it is part of that relief. In, in the space, when we create a space, the mind wants to put something in it. When, when something, a, a moment arises where nothing is there, where there's that null space, like the, the null space between the in and the out breath, where nothing is happening, the mind rushes in to create something. It's kind of, it's good. What I noticed on my last retreat was as I was getting very still, and I have to tell you, I was very concentrated, so that has some influence on this. I was very, very still. And I would notice the edge at which I was about to fall into sloth and torpor, the place where you drop off into no longer being alert, but kind of fuzzy. Mm, It's a nice, comfortable place, but it is not alert. And as I noticed coming up to that edge, I realized the mind would leap off and try to solve an old problem. It would bring up a memory. I could watch the mind leap out of that space where nothing was happening. That was so interesting to me to actually experience, oh, look at the mind leap. The mind is going to do something. It wasn't me leaving the meditation. This is the important distinction. I could see the mind leap from this place of discomfort where nothing was happening. To bring it into the space of the real world, Let's see. I don't want to lose track of time. I will leave some time for you to talk about this. Uh, on Saturday, I uh, was experiencing something, a, a feeling in my body that, that I thought of as shame. There was a discomfort. There was a, uh, it was a not good enough feeling. Not good enough. And I, I can tell you that everything I did up to that time was certainly not something to be ashamed of. And yet I was calling it shame. And I thought, you know, maybe it's not shame. Maybe this feeling I also feel when I feel shame. But is this shame? So I left it as an open question. And the next morning, I recognized a feeling that I will call uh, fragility. I felt fragile. I felt brittle. I felt like I could be broken. Like I could be pushed off my 
my uh, balance, just uncertain. It was just a feeling of uncertainty that I called fragility. Those words that we use to describe what the physical feeling is manifesting make a difference. It was easier for me to feel fragile than to feel shame. The feeling shame had in it a feeling that I needed to get better. I needed to improve. I wasn't good enough. The self-criticism came up with that word. Fragile did not hold as much self-criticism in it. It had more a sense of tentativeness and ah. And I have over years, many years, gotten away from the feeling that I had to be strong all the time and allowing myself to be fragile and knowing that it's not going to last forever because that's also in my experience, this stuff comes and goes, was in fact liberating. And I could be with the discomfort of feeling fragile and say, it's just this. It's just this. Is this equanimity? I don't need to use that word. I can be with what is uncomfortable. As long as I'm not giving it a word that is full of self-criticism. So, so I invite you to think about that. So we're going to break up in groups so that you have an opportunity to sort of consider this. And I would like you to consider what form does self-criticism take with me? Is it judgment about my errors? Is it a failure to become an idealized self? What form does self-criticism take with you? And what is the relationship to my intentions? It's a little kind of, it's a little consistent with what David said, just a little bit different focus. Okay. So, so think what form does my self-criticism take? And what's the relationship to my intentions? Okay. So, Chris, can you break us into groups for maybe 12 minutes? And then we can come back and talk about this. Okay, there are some smiles. More serious, (laughs) though. Yeah, more serious this time. So welcome back. Welcome back. So uh, does anyone have any reaction to this so far? What would you like to say? Just unmute yourself and respond if you have some reaction to this. I realize you didn't get very much time. Oh, I just said that um, self-criticism was really tied to the hindrance of doubt. And the more you experience a hindrance, the more doubt it seems you have and the more critical you get. So if you experience strong ill will, 
your intention is sort of nil. You're just all involved in that. And it's very egotistical. So that's just what I mentioned in our group that you can usually hook it up with the hindrances. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I really liked that she brought up and connected this with the hindrances. I like that that clarified a lot for me because that's exactly what it is. And um, so, and we talked about that in the group. Um, so uh, that's all I wanted to say. I liked, I liked her clarification because when you identify something, it's easy. It's, it's much easier to, to stop it and to, you know, to say, do I really need this? Do I need to be thinking this right now? Do I need to do this? And you can let it go out the open window or back door or however you want to visualize it. Does anybody else but comment? I kind of, um, Link it with um, a, a kind of an embodied experience of disconnection and um, so i've I've kind of learned to recognize this it's kind of a feeling I get in my head, but I know that I'm in the self criticism territory, and so when I notice that feeling I I and sometimes I mean I'm, I'm pretty good at getting it fairly quickly now but um, that's always kind of the um, the flag you know <laughs> it says okay what's going on and then as soon as I pinpoint or what is this what this you know what what is it about it pretty much dissipates as soon as I name it. So that's my story. Thank you. Uh-huh. I thought it was really helpful to, um, to think of what was going on as conditions um, because it helped me unhook from feeling at fault <laughs> for, yes. for what I was feeling. Uh, and, and it helped compassion to arise. Um, so thank you, Maria, uh, and, and my, um, co-investigators in the small group. That was really helpful. Freda, it looked like you had something to say. You? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm very thankful for the group that I was in. Um, all three of my partners um, got me to a point where um, I was right back with that word awareness. Um I have trouble when I'm faulting myself for something, being aware of it. 
I, I guess I slide into criticism so quickly of myself that I'm deep down in there. And so awareness, that moment of awareness that I'm doing this so that I can clear the air. Um, that's still the stumbling block for me, that instant of awareness. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm conscious of the time here, and uh, I want to make uh, one observation, and that is when we notice self-criticism, it's important not to continue self-criticizing. And one way we do that is by trying to get rid of those things that we think shouldn't be there. And what I invite you to do is not be such so quick to get rid of it. That just seeing it allows it. Some of you described that it would melt away or, or disappear. But there's, there's this, this tendency to look at things as good or bad. And what I'm inviting you to do is to just see them as just there. The instantaneousness of it. The suchness of it. And not, not only do you not incorporate it as part of your narrative, but you don't invite it to be something you have to get rid of. Because there is this impulse of pushing away when you do that. And that, and there, and it's very difficult to keep from being a pushing away of yourself. So, so when you are able to be with something, some imperfection that you have, if you think of it as a crack, that light can get through. You don't have to see the whole blooming sun. The cracks that light get through are extremely important. They are the gaps, the empty spaces where light can come through. So one of the things that really was outstanding to me yesterday was that wonderful poet, Amanda Gorman, and her presentation of her poem, uh, to, to climb the hill, the hill we climb. And in that poem, it was primarily political in nature, but there were lots of little Buddhist places. And I'm not going to take you to all of those places I found, but the end of it, I think, is extremely relevant. When day comes, we step out of the shade aflame and unafraid the new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. If only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Just this, just this. May you all invite the cracks in your life that let the light in so that you can see clearly. See, it's like this. Not as a source of blame, but as a source of strength and resilience. May you all experience light. May the world experience the freedom of lightness.
May we all experience freedom. Thank you very much. Thank you all for coming and thank you so much, Maria, for your beautiful teaching. Okay. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. See you in a month or two weeks or whenever. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Bye bye.